I wouldn't have been able to tell you this at the time, but I just like doing different things. And I think Wall Street and I think corporate America just rewards expertise. What I realized about myself in six and a half years as an entrepreneur is that I just love doing things that are different. Some people want every day to feel the same. They want that Starbucks effect to life. They want the coffee to always taste the same. I want variety. And I think now I've realized I'll want variety for my whole life. I think that's just part of who I am. Hello, and welcome to Talks with Sarah No Socks, a podcast about failure and how it's leading us to success. Each week, I sit down on Mondays and share my weekly failures with you. And I'm joined on Fridays with a special guest who's sharing their own story of failure and how that's led to their current success. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's show. Thanks for joining me today, Kay. How are you doing? I am doing well. Thank you so much uh, for having me, Sarah. Yeah, I'm so excited to chat with you. I know you and I have been speaking first like through social media, Twitter, and then happened to bump into each other at Rosie Sherry's community building course and have kind of just been chatting it up ever since then. I was in your last SYP cohort. And so it's just great to kind of sit down with you. It's awesome to to get to meet you in a one-on-one setting. Yeah. Funny enough, I guess this is our one, our first one-on-one setting. Why don't you give us a, a kind of high level of who you are and what you're doing in the world right now? Awesome. So uh, my name is Kay He, and right now I'm in uh, LA, California, which is where I live with uh, my wife and two daughters. I'm the creator of a blog, email newsletter, uh, and kind of online educational platform called Rad Reads, where we help people live productive, examined, and more joyful lives. So I like to say uh, often, you know, a lot of people teach the how, how to be more productive, how to change jobs, how to find out what really matters to you. But we also teach the why, like, why do you want to be productive? Why do you want more money? Why do you want to change more jobs? Uh, Why do you want to leave an impact? So uh, we do that primarily through writing, Uh, And through the course that you mentioned, the flagship course, Supercharger Productivity, which is a cohort based, a four week cohort based course that combines the how in terms of productivity and system design and the why in terms of like, what is your why? Why are we on this earth and kind of uh, tries to marry those two together? Yeah, I love it. Uh, I was so shocked when I took that course. I think a lot of people know you as kind of the notion guy, right? Mm-hmm. Like you just were all into productivity and had this amazing notion course. And then all of a sudden you're in the course and you're thinking, wait a minute, <laughs> what did I sign up for? Mm-hmm. And you were either really pleasantly surprised or kind of like, wait, I just want to learn how to use notion. <laughs> I should exit mm-hmm. left. So yeah. talk to me about first how you got into notion. Cause we went mm-hmm. from wall street to mm-hmm. Notion Consultant. So what yes. was that bridge like? Um, so it, it's you could always look back in hindsight and see that there is a through line in your activities. Uh, and productivity, and again, we should spend some time deconstructing that phrase, but productivity in terms of doing, getting more done with less effort, to use a very simplistic definition, was something that I had uh, always become been obsessed with from a a very young age. I think part of it was, you know, child of first generation immigrants. So there was this kind of work ethic, like, you know, if you can, the more you work, the better your life becomes, right? That's kind of the mindset that I was raised, raised with. Um, And then, so that was like the starting point, like work output matters. Um, And that was very much culturally ingrained in me. And then as I started going through high school and college and uh, early in my career, I started to realize that, oh, there's actually ways to um, throw gasoline on that output. And that's, that was kind of the early days of productivity, you know, just like being organized, right? This was a long time ago before, you know, I graduated college and Google, people weren't using Google. So, uh, you know, there were no productivity blogs. It was, you know, Stephen Covey's seven habits of effective, you know, effective individuals. (laughs) Like that was the productivity blog. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I kind of realized that, but like somewhere along the way, productivity and output turn into like a bit of a drug or a bit of an addiction where I quickly saw that you could use this tool called productivity to, you know, 
you could call I call in my head it was cheating, but you could you could win a lot of the games of life, right? Which is like getting promoted. And again, I don't I got promoted many times. I don't attribute it to being particularly smart, but it's just I figured out how the game was played. And then around the edges, because of things like productivity, I was able to, you know, move through them much quicker. So that kind of led me to through Wall Street, um, where I, you know, had a lot of fancy promotions and all that, you know, um, brouhaha. Uh, but then I, um, I quit. And we could talk about like why I ended up quitting uh, and became a creator. This was six and a half years ago. Um, and I started a email newsletter with 36 people and then, um, kind of parlayed that into a blog, into a social following and all of that. But to come full circle on your question about three years ago, notion came out and as a builder and as a small business owner, I just, but who was kind of technically savvy, but not an engineer, I just like to put all, I just needed things customized. I needed accounting systems customized. I needed CRMs customized. I needed workflow things customized. And I just didn't have the budget to build something myself, but I was too advanced to use something off the shelf. So that was kind of like the light bulb moment uh, when I discovered Notion um, three years ago. Ironically, um, I used to teach. So um, a lot of my philosophy is inspired. My productivity philosophy is inspired by David Allen's Getting Things Done, which is kind of like a seminal work in productivity land. It's kind of like the the 2000s version of Stephen Covey's book. Um, and the thing about GTD was I learned that right at the beginning of, of my career, so 20 years ago. Um, and I taught other people how to use it in my team. So I kind of always liked to be like, oh, there's this way to just because so much about productivity to me is also to be less stress. I think that's gotten lost in the conversation. But if I don't have to like worry about when I need to, you know, reschedule my annual physical, then that's one less thing I need to worry about and a little bit more lightness in my life instead of carrying all of these things. So anyway, long-winded answer of how I found Notion uh, three years ago. No, that's so interesting. And you talked about that line and it sounds like that line started you know, on Wall Street, you've always been teaching people how to be mm. more productive, even way back when, when totally. <laughs> some of these fancy tools didn't exist. So I think totally. that's really fascinating that that line has kept and makes a ton of sense when you look at your progression. So let's circle back, though, in terms of why you left. So I know mm -hmm. listeners of the show are very familiar that I quit corporate as well. And I know that's mm -hmm. kind of how we connected and, and became friends because very similar. I wasn't on Wall Street though. So mm -hmm. that's you know a lot different. What was really the series of events or was there one turning point that you decided? Um I I it's Wall Street is a very strange place. Um it's very old school. It's very much a monoculture and it's very much an industry that is built upon and preys on insecurity and um, lack of confidence. Uh, and so what, what happens is it, it actually attracts people like me in college where they're kind of, you know, don't really know their place in the world and are kind of awkward and they probably weren't the coolest people in high school and junior high. And it says, it's, 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 it has this like implicit promise where like, we'll make all those feelings go away. You just stick with us. Um, and the reason they, they, the way they do it is with, you know, money and power, you know, again, that's a, it's a tricky word, but, but, but influence, yeah, like Wall Street has a lot of influence. And so the promise is power, power and influence. So, um, so I got in and I, I kind of bought that narrative, you know, it was kind of a shy, you know, insecure, really kind of toothpick toothpicky kind of guy that people kind of like made fun of. Uh, and I was like, I'm going to make that go away. Watch like this, this, this career has promised to be, you know, money and status and power and influence. And to all you naysayers, um, watch what I'm going to do. Um, and that was really, was like a motivation. That was my motivation to just make money. Um, and it's not like, at least in the world of, of male entrepreneurs, it's pretty common story. Like that they're kind of um, 
try to overcome insecurities that they had as kids through something that they're quite good at, which is business. Um, and, and I'm very much in that archetype. Uh, and so I started to go down this career on Wall Street and a few things started to happen. One was that um, you get paid disproportionately well uh, being on Wall Street. Like even if you compared uh, Google engineer, like the top Google engineer and an average Wall Street person, you'd be shocked at the difference in company. I mean, it's astronomically different, even post 08 and all that stuff. So, you know, I got a taste of these different um, rewards, mostly financial. And what happened, and some, you know, status like promotion. And the thing was like the first time, you know, the first time I even got a, I got a signing bonus. You know, I was like 21 years old and got a, I think like a $10,000 signing bonus or $8,000. That's the most, that's the biggest check I had ever seen in my lifetime's 99, right? And and so you kind of start a kid off with that and you're like, oh my God. And so that was amazing. Like I, I, I bought something nice for my mom and bought myself some like fancy shoes and I didn't have to worry about like making a, um, a security deposit for a New York City rental and you could buy, you know, $8 shots and not feel weird about it. Um, just like overnight. Um just off that one check. And then, but what happened is like every time the bonuses, you know, for the most part got bigger and bigger, uh, the, the, the promotions got, you know, higher and higher, but every time, like nothing ever came close to the euphoria that I felt after that first one to the point that, you know, 13 bonuses later, you were actually disappointed because you knew X, Y, and Z got 20% more than you, even though on absolute terms, it was like more than your parents had made in their entire career in one paycheck. Um, and so it, it, it kind of like the, the and the, you know, you some call it the hedonic treadmill. You know, I use the phrase, the when then trap, where you believe that this next thing is going to make you finally feel at peace or fulfilled or come alive. So that was the one thing is like, I realized that that game just wasn't the, like, I, I realized the emptiness of that game. And I was lucky to have realized it, you know, in my mid thirties. Um, the second thing was that, Wall Street is a very zero-sum place, which is like, I win, you lose. And it's the way the industry treats its customers. It's the way they treat the government. It's the way colleagues treat one another. It's the way a boss treats their direct report. I, it just, that, I just, A, that is not the lens through which I see the world. I think that's false. I'm a big believer in a rising tide lifts all boats. But not only that, but when everyone believes that the opposite of that, it unleashes some of the ugliest attributes of human behavior, where not like knives, you know, knives and and ethics and all that. And I'm just like, you know what? Life's too short to cool. You guys want to do that? That's fine. Like, go Lord of the Flies in your own <laughs> in your own conference room. Yeah. I'm I'm out. I'm going somewhere else. That was the second. Um, and the third one, I think, is a little bit more, um, just a little bit more reflective of my personality. And I wouldn't have been able to tell you this at the time, but I just like doing different things. Um, and I think Wall Street and I think corporate America just rewards expertise. And so you you get good at something and your thing becomes even narrower. And then it becomes, you know, you used to be a generalist. Now you're the COO and like you're making 20 times more income, but you're doing this like one very rigid set of tasks. And I think what I realized about myself in six and a half years as an entrepreneur is that I just love I just love doing things that are different. Like I don't like some people want every day to feel the same. They want that Starbucks effect to life and like they want the coffee to always taste the same. Like I want variety. And I, and I think now I've realized like I'll want variety for like my whole life. I think that's just part of who I am. And so that was, uh, you know, uh, the last, I mean, there were many more, but those are the three main ones that come to mind. Yeah. That's so fascinating. Interesting. Of course, from an outsider perspective, sure, we know the money is ridiculous there. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just insanity to think how much <laughs> folks get paid, um, especially when you look at some of the other career paths, right? Like, especially given the pandemic, all of the medical staff, that it's not even <laughs> an eighth. <laughs> I don't know, a sixteenth. Um, hundredth. 
Oh gosh, yeah, it's painful. It's just really interesting that you were able to look back and see that creativity and wanting to do different things kind of was the final push. And I'm sure it was that that's very similar to what happened to me as well. I just Mm -hmm. felt very boxed in and I couldn't understand why I had all the success and I was doing fine and on paper, everything was great, but I felt suffocated. And, you know, as soon as you leave, you're like, Oh yeah, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I want to do all the things. And and it was, I was even trying to bring that into my work. I remember we were in like one of those boring Monday morning meetings, staff meetings. Um, Everyone's hating their lives. Uh, And I would just, I, I just talk about Bitcoin. I mean, we were in financial services. Uh, you know, you should consider, like, at least talk about it. Don't go and buy it. And they'd be like, "Hey, stop with your, you know, techie blah blah blahs." Um, and they they wouldn't like they wouldn't even hear me out. They're just like, "You're weird. Just go do that with your weird. Talk about that stuff with your weird friends and get back to work." Uh, and, and I was joked because I bought some and that was when Bitcoin was $300 a coin. <laughs> and now they're like making Bitcoin investments and all that stuff. So it just, it's funny that, that you saw that uh, like everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. The naysayers of not listening. Mm-hmm. I think we're kind of seeing that right now with the web three, uh, phenomenon yeah. and NFTs and everything, which I'm not going to get into cause I don't mm. understand them at all, but very similar. That makes two uh, of us. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. I, everybody's mm-hmm. changing their avatar. I can't keep up. Mm-hmm. I'm like, am I following this person? Who is this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> very difficult. Anyway. Yeah, super interesting. So I guess I want to fast forward a little bit from there. When you left, you started the newsletter. Mm-hmm. Did you have a plan when you left or did you just leave and decide I need to decompress and I want to get out of New York City and mm-hmm. so I'm going to move across the country and figure it out. <laughs> yeah. So so the move didn't happen. The move only happened 3 years ago and quitting was 6 6 and a half years ago. Uh so I quit. I had a lot of little passion projects while I was working, you know, 12 14 hour days with a young child. But I would I would wake up and I would write business plan. I wrote a business plan on I called it like Uber for headhunting. Um, I had created a bunch of like Airtable, this was before Notion, so on-brand Airtable templates that you could do like cool stuff with them. I had an anonymous music blog. Um, I was teaching these, I was organizing networking events like outside of the industry. So I had all these little fun projects going on to really satiate that, that need for variety, that need to feel alive. But um, what I realized was that, uh, oh man, I'm doing all these, these 1% of my activities is bringing, bringing me 99% of my, you know, non-family joy. I'm like, imagine, and this is, you know, one to two hours a day, very tired hours because like the bookends of the day. I said, imagine if I could do that 10 hours a day. Like imagine what I could do. Imagine the possibility. And again, I was not, I, I didn't, I don't really, Back then, I didn't identify as an entrepreneurial person. I'm very risk averse. Uh, I had never really been an I'd never been an entrepreneur, and so, um, but I had all of these little projects. And so, what I realized though was that I had run out of time to like push them through completion, or not. I'd run out of time to get them out of the gates, let alone like do anything meaningful on them. And so, you know, after one of these bonuses, I finally said, "Look, okay, I'm going to make an angel investment." in myself. And an angel investment, for those that may not know, is it's a very asymmetric investment where you make an investment in a company that's basically just an idea. This is not the angel investment myself, just an angel investment. So you make an investment basically based off an idea or a person, you invest 20K, 50K, whatever. And the chance of a spectacular, you have like a 99% chance of losing all of your money and a 1% chance of making like a thousand times your money. That's just how asymmetric it is. And so um, so I said, okay, Lisa, uh, who's my wife, um, let's let's do that. Let's. How much money are we willing to go to zero uh, to give ourselves the time to potentially, not necessarily change our life financially, but just to change our lives? And so we kind of put that money to the side and it was somewhere between like, one and a half and three years, depending on kind of, we were, my wife was very clear, no ramen, no generics. (laughs) Um, If you freak out, I'm going to, don't make me regret signing up for this. If you're going to 
ask me why I didn't buy generic deodorant. Um, so we, you know, we wanted to maintain a certain standard of living, and thankfully, you know, thanks of Wall Street's good financial graces, we had the uh, ability to do so. So we put that money aside, and then we just said, "Let's see what happens." And so there were a few little projects. The big one, we traveled for three months as if we did a family eat, pray, love. Um, that was the the big one. Uh, that was the first thing. And then, you know, I'd been mess muck, mucking around with the newsletter leading up. That was one of the projects. And people started to like it. And that's kind of, that became the thing consuming most of my time. And here we are. You just leaned six in. Six and a half years later. Yes. Yeah, that's amazing. The idea that you can bet on yourself and just give yourself the space and time to mm -hmm. make it or break it, I think is one, I'm sure you feel very fortunate. I, I'm kind of in the same position, you know, we, my husband and I are very similar. So I want to touch on spouses for a minute too, because mm -hmm. I think we don't talk about yes. the spousal support, but before we get there, um, I just think it's so important to bet on yourself. And even if you can't do it with your own money, the belief capital in yourself, to be like, you know what? I can figure this out. And if it doesn't work out, something else will come along. It takes mm -hmm. so much courage and bravery mm -hmm. to even like put that foot into the water to make I the know. ripple happen. Mm -hmm. um, I just think that's so super interesting. And it's also, um, it's, it's again, it's kind of like a way of seeing the world because people used to come to me after I quit. They're like, you have this dream job that people spend their careers and you got it, you know, five years early, seven years early. Um, you know, you've got all, you check all the boxes. Your kids can go to private school. You know, all those boxes. You're, you're, you're set. You're like, you are good. Uh, and and my wife Lisa is an artist, which means you know very little income and no health insurance. So like really like my job as a construct was very important to our family. Um, and so people would always say, and then we had a one year old kid, and so people would say like, isn't that risky? Isn't that risky? Isn't that risky? And I, and it's I, I I didn't say it at first because it, it felt like almost um, snarky, but now I really deeply feel it. And I knew that I felt it at the time. I'm like, no, I think the riskier thing is having the people you love most watching you go through life checked out just for a paycheck. That sounds like 50 times riskier than that. And, and I really believe that. And I also know, you know, it, it, you, from, from what I know about your background and the fact that you've invited me on your podcast, like a lot of people think that if you leave a corporate job, you're you're damaged goods and no one will will ever hire you back. Like no people, I could go back and get a job on Wall Street six and a half years later without having spent a minute thinking about markets. Um, not to mention the like employment, uh, you know, shortfalls we have in this country. But even then, like people respect that, um, and it shows a whole nother lens of skills, like. You know, I don't like to think of myself as courageous, but, you know, taking risk or whatever. Um, it is courageous. You should give yourself credit. It so, is very courageous. Most yeah. people don't do what you did. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I mean, they just don't, right? Yeah. Uh, even no, if they I, feel themselves slipping away, they're like, oh, I'll take another vacation or I'll buy a beach house or I'll yeah. get the car or I'll just do therapy or I'll meditate or I'll mm -hmm. and try and like put all the band-aids on it rather than just yeah. take the courageous step and say, I have to like plug the hole. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. otherwise I'm just leaking. <laughs> I know. Everywhere. I know. Um, yeah. I, I just think it's really courageous to do that, oh, especially you. when you're in that position and you know Living in the States, you know, I have global listeners. When you live in the States, healthcare is like usually the main thing yep. that keeps people working at their job because it's that incredibly was the most, expensive. That was the, that not only is it expensive, but it's actually just hard. Even if you have money, it's hard to get access to it because it's the way the system's designed is that it comes from your employer. So anyway, that's a whole other yeah. rant. Yeah, it, it really is. And it's a stressful gatekeeper, but I think a good point for people to research. If you're interested in leaving your current position, that's mm -hmm. definitely one thing I would advocate for researching well in advance that you yes. have that planned out and have the funds mm -hmm. allocated appropriately yes. for it. Because <laughs> it is a shock once you realize how much your employer <laughs> subsidized your healthcare. Yeah, definitely. So circling back, I want to talk about spouses. Yes. Oh, what a great topic. 
I don't, it's not touched upon enough, I don't mm -hmm. think, in this realm that we have this really interesting <laughs> situation that we have a spouse. Now, your spouse, you, you talked about, Lisa, she's a artist, right? She's an artist, yep. Yeah, so she doesn't work in a, a traditional setting, but talk to mm -hmm. me about you know, what that conversation, you, you touched on a little bit, but how that conversation went and how often you kind of check back in to yeah. do status updates. So my wife, Lisa, is absolutely incredible. And whatever is happening to our lives right now and whatever kind of success, you know, that I've had in, you know, across my career since I've known her for like 13 years now, um, she's played a massive, massive, like I wouldn't have been able to do it without her. Um, you know, Lisa and I are, we're, we're, we're quite, we're quite funny in the sense that there's no better way to show our differences. Like Kay is like the notion guy I can kind of expand, you know, text expand entire paragraphs in like, you know, 15 seconds. Um, and if you go into Lisa's email, she has her only to-do list are Google stars. And if you look at like, like the first five messages, they're, they're wedding gifts from from our wedding that we haven't collected <laughs> haven't done anything with yet. We're planning our 10 year anniversary. I was going to say I'm sure this was not just a couple years ago. <laughs> so, uh and so I think that that just kind of shows that I mean, when it comes to yin and yang, she's an artist. She's a formally trained uh artist, grad school. I'm like computer engineer guy. She's, you know, lived paycheck to paycheck for a big chunk of her life. You know, I entered college with a, we entered, yeah, graduated high school with like a, like a safety net from having had like entrepreneurial coding jobs and all that. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's, we feel really lucky because we both have spent a lot of time working on ourselves. Um, and we've kind of gone through it through different paths. Like my path has been more like life coaching and it's kind of like meandered into, um, like Buddhism and, um, Eastern philosophy, non-dualism. Um, <clears throat> and her path has been much more through, um, kind of more like wellness communities and then kind of meandering more into like inner child work. And so, um, and with a lot of like commonalities, like we both met, we both meditate like almost seven years daily now, each of us for 40, 40, 50 minutes a day. Um, and so it's just, it's really um, awesome to be on a spiritual journey um, with your partner. And, and we're not on the same one, but I actually think that's better uh, that we don't have like the same you know, gurus and we're not reading the same books, but she'll be like, Oh, that book looks cool. And she's like, Oh, um, so, so I would say that that's been one thing is that, that we have both been on these journeys and they're, they're, they like, we, we believe that they're going to go on for the rest of their lives, uh, for the rest of our lives. Um, the second is that, um, and this is more on her than on me. So I grew up in a immigrant, like a immigrant family where kind of like, love in relationships was very secondary. Like they were more practical and you happen to love the other person. And then you have like built this life together and that's, that's love. Um, and then she grew up for, uh, in a world where, you know, there were, you know, she saw a lot of divorces. Uh, and so she, like in my world where like, like being together is like the default state, even though you, it might not be the right thing in her world, not being together is the default state. And so that puts us in a very like strange place in terms of how we view marriage. And it's something that we actually have to talk about often um, when we have conflicts, we have to, um, when we have conflicts, we have to um, kind of go back to like, what are our, our deep rooted beliefs and like air those out. Um, so, so that, that's something that we're aware of and we've, we've gone to, um, like therapy and so on to kind of mm -hmm. help us, uh, navigate those. And I think that the, the last one though, is that we're just on the same page about life where, you know, we don't really want material, like material things. We'd much rather have freedom. We value being present around our kids often, 
Um, and so it just makes things like really like we don't fight about money because we just are on the same page about money. Um, and, and so we're just kind of on the same page. And I would say for what I'm most grateful for is that she has kind of like this unlimited well of trust in me that like, I'm not going to mess things up. If anything, she probably wishes I would mess things up a little more because I would be less uptight about everything. Uh, but she just this trust where like, like, oh, I'm going to invest in this company or I'm going to take, I'm not going to work for three months. Or she's, she just, she doesn't even need to be bothered with the details. Like she's like, how are you going to show up for, for me and the girls? We have two, two girls. Um, how are you going to show up for me and the girls? Are you going to be stressed? Um, and then the rest, like, it just, it just doesn't matter to her. Communication is the like mm-hmm. key theme there. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very active communicators. No, absolutely. And the one other thing that, that has just worked so well for us. And again, like we didn't plan this out, but every once a week, our date night is like a two hour beach walk. And if we're up for it, we'll get dinner. Uh, but oftentimes we don't, um, there's something about, and just like those two hours where, where, and we're kind of like, we, it's like we check in where it's, we're not talking about the logistics for the week and all that. And again, we, we always, I mean, we always had the resources to do something like that, but it, it just, you gotta be on the same page to want something like that. Um, and then to prioritize it against everything, every other competing activity. And that little habit has, it has fundamentally changed our relationship. Yeah. It's, it's really sound advice and very interesting to hear you. And I, I see the themes in like my own relationship with my mm-hmm. husband, trust, communication, always checking back in. What's yeah. the impact going to be on you? You know, mm-hmm. and you need to have that conversation before you take some yes. sort of plunge like this. And I think a lot of people don't really talk that through. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's years in the making and not necessarily yeah. you know, like, oh, okay, in three months, I'm just going to quit my job and. Yeah, I just think we don't talk enough about the impact that our lives as entrepreneurs has on our spouse. If they're working or not, it doesn't really matter. But they feed off of our emotions and our stress and our burdens. And talking that through is so important. Absolutely. And and it goes both ways, right? Like the entrepreneur can survive without the support of the spouse and the spouse needs to be, uh, the entrepreneur needs to be there for the other spouse, uh, spouse because there's, it's, it's not a, it's not a typical, it, it's more volatile. It's a more volatile lifestyle. Yeah. Extremely, extremely. My, <laughs> my recommendation is just like, if you aren't sure if you've communicated enough, over communicate. Yes. It's not going to hurt you to just say, Hey, just checking back. <laughs> We're still on the same page, right? Absolutely. You're here for all the spouses supporting us. (laughs) Cheers. Right? Oh, man. So, so much amazing stuff happened kind of in those first few years and you built things up. But talk to me about like, so Notion started three years ago. Mm -hmm. Was that when Supercharger Productivity started or we waited a little bit till we built up the newsletter a bit more? What was that like? Yeah. So the so the newsletter started six years, six and a half years ago and the Notion course, uh, Supercharger Productivity. So it did start three three years ago. I'd say just leading up to that. So there was about three three years of writing a newsletter and trying a bunch of different stuff online, all different, you know, Snapchat stories, you, you name it, I tried it. Um, podcasting. Um, and, you know, I was kind of scraping by. So that kind of like 18 months I had given myself, mostly through coaching. Um, I was getting asked to be a life coach and it was, you know, the rates were good. And, um, and then I had other little sources of income. Like I had a decent sized, I think at our peak, we had like 18,000 a year of Patreon, $18,000 a year of, of donations, occasional sponsors, occasional speaking, but really like coaching was the bread and butter. Um, then when Notion came out, I realized people were seeing me do all this cool stuff on it and write about it, but they couldn't do it themselves. And so I had this, I had this moment where I think that's the other thing about being an entrepreneur, you become more decisive. And when you see things, it's like, okay, there's an opening right here, right now, no business plan, nothing, just like 
front up a landing page and see what happens. Uh, so that was the first the Notion course, you know, September um, three, yeah, three-ish. Yeah, that would be three years ago. Um, and so then what happened was, so we're about to launch our eighth. So the next four courses were all about just like teaching you the ins and out of Notion. But well, there was a disconnect because I was writing about all of these topics on how to live an intentional life and, you know, why do you really want this and how to, you know, go from a scarcity to abundance mindset. And people are like, like cool, Notion is cool and all, but where's all that other, where's all that other stuff, right? And, you know, since there are a lot of entrepreneurs um, listening here, I think it, it's a very, it's very important for me to point out that it's very easy or it's much easier to sell a course with where you can promise a specific set of skills. Like I can teach me to learn Figma. I can teach you Webflow. I can teach you Notion. Like, because then you don't have to use marketing to convince people, right? Or you still have to convince them, but it's much easier because they know very clearly what they're getting. If they can use Figma by the end of your course, then mission accomplished, right? And it's not, it's not too hard to gauge if someone can deliver that for you or not. Um, however, and so that was the early days of the course. However, if you want to sell someone a transformation, right? Um, use an extreme example. I don't love comparing. I'm not, I'm not comparing myself to him. Uh, but like Tony Robbins, right? Unleash the power UP from within, right? Unleash the power from within. What the heck is he selling? Yeah, I don't. What does that even mean? <laughs> no clue. Right? You you know that you yell and you walk on glass and you sweat and clearly he's landed on product market fit. I mean, he's a billionaire. Right. uh, And it costs a lot of money, so it must be worth it. A ton of money, yeah. (laughs) So, uh, but that's a very, if you're starting off as an entrepreneur, it's, you could say like, Sarah teaches you how to use Webflow, but if Sarah teaches you how to unleash the power from within, that's a very different case that you're trying to make. And so I wasn't ready to make I didn't even know that that was in me. I was just like, oh, I just teach people skills. Like skills are easy uh, to teach. Um, people want skills. But people started to come to me and they, they actually were saying like, we want you to help us unleash the power from within, right? They weren't using the, that, that exact uh, nomenclature. And I knew that I had it in me because I was writing about it. And people were paying me to coach them on a, in my life coaching business. So... This was, so you took seven uh, and six. So the, the last two cohorts of Supercharger Productivity, um, I just audibled in the middle because I kind of, I, I teased out like a little idea. I asked the, the students to answer their five whys and they were like, people were like in tears on the calls and you've been on the calls and you've, you've seen that. Um, I've been and in tears was, myself. Yeah, just like, no, so. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> so that's when I was, then I was like, Oh my God, they actually do want this and I can deliver this. And so I basically in the cohort before you signed up, I, I basically redesigned the whole course on the fly. Cause I saw that opening and I was just like, as an entrepreneur, just say, go, just like, don't ask questions. Don't second guess. So I just went for it. And people were moved beyond my greatest expectation. Um, and it was really just, it is a really, really special experience and a special group of people. And so from that point on, I've started to pull it away. It's still called supercharger productivity, but it, it it's 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 masquerading like in this latest version. We're saying like if you want to learn every single feature about Notion, we're, we're we're actually not the course for you. We're like pushing those people away. Uh, we're saying, but if you want to tap into your purpose, to really understand your motivations, set true goals, and really learn how to prioritize, and we you do need a system to do that we believe that Notion is the right one for it. So we're, we're kind of like slowly changing the positioning and that takes us, we're, we're actually right now marketing, uh, about to market the eighth, eighth cohort. Um, and so that's that's kind of the, the core of the business right now. Yeah, but you, 
this course, I just, it's so hard to even describe. I was trying to think of in prep here, I'm like, how can I describe this course? I've told so many people about it. And I basically said, yes, you learn how to use Notion, which is great. It's very helpful. It taught me so much more about Notion than I ever needed to know. But the like existentialism (laughs) that would happen every Thursday with these sessions you touched about, it truly felt like group therapy, but in the Mm -hmm. most positive, wholesome way. This is not uncovering like, I don't know, terrible trauma and abuse. Right. But it's talking about like, oh, that's the vein that I see myself in and Mm -hmm. I should be a little bit gentler. And how does that tie back to why I'm not actually getting things done? And that's very hard to wrap up into words. I know. Imagine trying to like get people to pay for it. (laughs) But that's the thing. I'm like, oh man, I feel like these need to be video testimonials of like, well, this is not some catchy headline. Like this Mm -hmm. is truly, you really have to be in a certain frame of mind, of course, to Mm -hmm. get the most from that course. Absolutely. Um, But for those who are, yeah, it's not some catchy tagline. It, it's I so know. much more than that. So I, I'll be oh. interested to see the new marketing site. Well, uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And and it is really, you know, it does does feel very much like um, my, my life's work, so to speak, where it, it is just being able to connect with other humans at that level, at that scale. Uh, and scale, we're talking like 100 students at a time, um, is really, really uh, like a blessing for that, that like I get to do that. And then on top of that, I get to build a business around that. Yeah, very cool. So talk to us about the, the launch here, because I know we have mm-hmm. a launch coming out mm-hmm. pretty soon and we've got this amazing 10k summit coming people yes. don't know what 10k work is yet they mm-hmm. need, they're going to they need to know the 10k work it does not mean ten thousand dollars an hour i wish yes <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe it does it can <laughs> <laughs> eventually eventually um so i'd start by saying that that the 10k framework is a really really simple way to organize yourself and to prioritize. And and I say this as someone who has studied, you know, GTD. I've been a GTD, getting things done. Um, It's a 200 page book. And then you get an app that like lets you use the tactics of the book. And the app has a hundred page manual. And I've, I've done all that, but no one, that's like 1% of the population will do that. So then you kind of like get all these other methods, like eat the frog, which is, you know, do the hardest thing first. Okay. A, what if I'm not a morning person? Uh, And B, what about the 72 other things? Mm -hmm. You know, what Mm -hmm. about the tadpoles? What what do I do with them? You know, then there's like the Ivy Lee method, right? Six things you're going to do each day. Okay. Which six, how do I pick? Um, Eisenhower matrix, important, but not urgent. And so what, what we came up with, my team and I, is that we realized that we could actually distill every activity that you wanted to do into one of one of four buckets. Um, and the biggest difference, so you know, you, you go from 10 to 100 to 1,000 to 10,000. I'm not going to go through each one. Um, but the biggest one is $10 work is, you know, things, something that you can do when you're hungover, right? It's like getting to inbox zero or organizing your Kindle highlights or taking notes on your favorite podcast or sending a tweet. Um, and, you know, we need to do the paying a bill. Like we need to do these things. Um, and then $10,000 work is kind of this special sauce. It's like, it's something that you're really good at, but it also has a one-to-many effect, right? So life coaching might be $1,000 work because you do a one-to-one transfer of knowledge, but running an online course is $10,000 type work because you could take the same content and teach it to a thousand, hundred people, a thousand people, or Tony Robbins' case, a million people. Uh, And so once you inject this version of leverage, which is like, how can things work without me having to do all the work, which they're actually far more common than one would think. Like one is just being a good manager. That's the most common way is to train, recruit, train, and retain and engage your team well. That You just do that, you're going to be, you and your business will be in a great position. So that's the matrix. And we kind of use that as a starting point for the, you know, the why. Uh, I'm sorry, the how. But then we kind of come in and the how is like, well, do you know how to ask good questions? Do you know how to say no? 
Do you know why you self-sabotage? These are also 10K questions. Um, and so the course uses that framework as a very pragmatic way of organizing yourself and then expands into like the second and third and fourth layers uh, behind those, you know, motivations and aspirations uh, and, and constraints, emotional, you know, psychological constraints. So that's the course that starts uh, October 24th. But leading up to it, we have two free events. We have the 10K Summit where I am interviewing six people, James Clear, Rachel Rogers, and Laura LeConf, uh, Dan Runcy, Lawrence Yao, uh, Steph Smith, and um, uh, missing one more. Um, anyway, um, where I interview them on how they do 10K work because they're all prolific creators, prolific entrepreneurs managing large teams. So that's the summit. Uh, it's a free event. And then the summit leads into the boot camp which is where we kind of give, give you an overview and enough so you can actually just go out and do it on your own. Uh, and that's a, another free event. That's the, you know, so the summit's the week of the, is the week of the fifth. Um, and the, the uh, boot camp is the week of the 12th or the 11th. I don't have my dates in front of me. Um, we'll put those in the notes. And then the course opens uh, 10 days after that. Yeah. And I have to say your business model is fantastic. So touch on that quickly, because as someone who was new into the entrepreneur space, doesn't have a mm -hmm. lot of funds to like continuously learn, your model is set up for people like that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, well, uh, so the, the model, you know, I've always had a model of giving away a lot for free. I think that's in my personality. And I, you know, if I believe that I'm sitting on interesting ideas, I'm not going to, I don't, I want people to be exposed to them. I don't want them to have to pay for them because by definition, that significantly shrinks the set of receiving ears and eyes and ears. Um, the other thing though, uh, is that I realize that, and I think this is not spoken about enough in the creator economy, but so to, to thrive in the creator economy, you have to be good at marketing. It's basically, um, Mar uh, it's like a combination because you don't really hire or, or the teams are quite small. So you don't have a ton of ops, but it's really a combination of um, mark. It's really mostly marketing with a sprinkling of product design uh, and then a sprinkling of operations. And I think that I don't think people talk about this enough. So I'll give you an example. Um, when we launch our Every time we launch a course, we have a Google Doc with 50 to 100 pages of marketing material, pre-written emails, headlines, social media copy. Every word is very, very um, meticulously chosen. A lot of them have been tested uh, over time. We do a lot of customer surveys, market research. We just do a ton of market research. I have my team go through tweets of people in our sphere with a certain amount of likes and tag the emotion that that tweet is playing to. That's that's marketing research. Um, and and I don't think it's discussed enough in the kind of through the, this is obviously if you want to monetize through the lens of the creator economy with courses, info products, books, speaking. Um, but I don't think people realize that how much marketing is involved and if they knew, if they saw, you know, marketers have these things called swipe files where they just take notes of like good slogans and logos. Like if, if creators saw the amount of marketing that went into monetizing, most of them would run. It's, it's, it would be easier to have a marketing job at a tech company by far because you'd have resources, you'd have training, you'd have brand recognition. So I think that's that's one thing that you know I would like to shed some more light on because it totally took me by surprise, um, and I'd say 70 percent of my time is on marketing. Uh, and again, you can count writing and blogging as as marketing, but there's also just just explicit marketing, like putting together two free events. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. And you you do give away, isn't it? Pretty much like eighty twenty or ninety ten. Most ninety eight two, we say ninety eight two. There you go. I was way off. Yes, and it's true. I mean, everything is out there, and you offer so much value. And I love that you just touched upon marketing because that's one of the things 
that is like not talked about at all mm-hmm. in the creator economy. People are like, oh, build an audience, build an audience. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that means marketing. You mm-hmm. have to build an audience through good content and then marketing mm-hmm. that good content. Exactly. And if you don't enjoy marketing, don't bother. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's just, there, there, people would say, well, you know, well, if you just write great things, they'll come to you. Like the reality is that's not, I mean, I built an audience with a very varied set of content. And I do write those, that content uh, by choice because I need the variety. But my business would be in a much better place if all I did was write about 10K work. If I wrote about 10K work, Every single day, every single tweet. If I change my Twitter bio to the 10K guy, um, my business <laughs> would be in a. I'd make I'd make way more money. Yes, it's, it's that simple. Yeah, and so again, that's where it. That's where you have to kind of come up with this self awareness, right? Which we teach often, which is okay. So I just you said you wanted to be a creator. I told you how much marketing is, is involved. Then you got to be like, well, why do I want to be a creator? Right. Because if you want to be a creator just to create, cool. Just don't think of that as a substitute for the income you might have walked away from. Um, Do you want to be a creator because you want to have more flexible job hours? Okay. Then that's a different story. Right. But you could also potentially be a marketer that works at a remote hybrid firm and just do marketing on your own time. Right. So I think that a lot of that's lost. Uh, it's lost in the conversation. I, I was joking that um, this weekend I was at, away at a friend's birthday. And then on the weekend, I came back and wrote a PTO policy, paid time off, um, because I have employees now. So I don't think anyone, <laughs> anywhere in that solo creator story narrative, that the solo creator is writing uh, expense policy, uh, PTO policy, and a reimbursement policy on the weekends. Yeah, no, that's not right? in the, the. That's not in the story. It's not in the guides. <laughs> so, uh, and again, thankfully, I want to do that. I want to do that because I, th- I think you know, for me, the variety in the business is actually building a business now. Um, and I think that is the creative challenge that I'm excited for. I'm, I was very lonely working, just like sitting in front of a laptop at a WeWork for six and a half years, writing emails to millions of, you know, millions of readers. Um, and I want to have someone be like, what do you think about this? Tell me it's a stupid idea. Cause no one told me that for six years. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, I got a <laughs> lot of stupid ideas. Oh man, I look back at some of my newsletters. I'm like, oh, thank goodness. Where is everybody? Mm-hmm. Yes. Another thing that's not talked about at all on this journey, it's super lonely, especially yes. if you came from a traditional workplace setting. Yes. Even if you were the only person in your department, you still had coworkers and mm-hmm. there's no one. There's just yep. no one. And it it's very important to have friends and a support network and communities and you can meet with your peers but it's not the same there's mm-hmm. nobody you can bounce things off of day in day yeah. out whenever you need to yes very yes. stressful and and so it's physically lonely because you don't go to an office anymore i mean this is pre-covid uh then it's professionally lonely because you have no one to bounce anything off of um then it's, um, you know, it's directionally lonely because you care so much about this one thing, but no one else cares about it the way you do. So you're like rowing in the, like, you know, you're like, I see the lighthouse and you're just like in a little rowboat <laughs> yeah. by yourself. Like, With oh, one just, oar. <laughs> yeah. And, and then you're like, isn't it cool when you're close to the lighthouse and there's just some fish swimming under right. you. Um, so it, it's, it's, you know, and I think that was the biggest one for me that made me want to actually grow rad rates because I was kind of very reluctant to like have to become a manager and like like buy, I have to go shop for health insurance now for other you know like it's this like that's not fun stuff um and it's and the cost of it's very expensive and the cost of getting it wrong is very expensive especially because I don't have any investor money it's just, it's just my money um so but when I saw that people had bought into the mission of what I was starting to build and they cared about it. Maybe not as much as me, but damn close. 
uh, as much as V. I'm like, oh my God, there's actually someone else that cares, you know, close to what I care about, about this mission, not even the, the money or the profits or anything like that. I've got to, we got to do this together. I, where have you been all this time? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's an amazing feeling, especially because, you know, they not only bought into the mission, but that was your mission. So they're buying uh, into yeah. you. They yeah. believe in you. So it's belief capital. It's also, you know, time and investment from them. Like all of these people are like, yes, we're behind you. We'll help you. What do you need? So it's got to feel totally. amazing. <laughs> it's, it's totally, it's, it's, it's such an, it's such an honor. Uh, and it feels amazing. And, um, the other side of that is like, oh shit, I got to deliver for them. <laughs> the stress. Right. Because yeah. at some, you know, there was, it's one thing when it was just me by myself and, you know, I, I had a, you know, a shitty launch or something. Um, and, and it didn't, and it didn't work out, but like here it's, you know, it's like, you're like feeding people's families. The, Literally, you know. Uh, so, and again, I, 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 to go back to the point earlier, I, I, I do relish that challenge. Um, I think it is the challenge that excites me right in this moment. Uh, and so, buckle up. Yeah, I'm excited to watch it. I believe in you. I think it's oh, going to happen. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I see. I see good things. More good <laughs> things coming. <laughs> So we've gone through so much of your journey and lots of success, mm -hmm. but we all know I'm about failure here. <laughs> yes. So what has been your most impactful failure? I'd say, this, I'd say the biggest one is that there were people in my life I was close to whose relationships I took for granted. So I would say just taking relationships for granted, um, either in under misjudging how long, you know, how long people would be around for, but also, uh, not, um, not appreciating people for people who are close to me for having made different choices and being, and being different. Uh, and I think that in hindsight, there was a lot of ego, it's, you know, in me, it's like, Oh, you don't, you don't believe, you don't think that? No, I definitely think that. And I think you're, you're an idiot for not thinking that. Um, and I think this kind of belief that time would just fix many of those relationships. But, you know, I'm turning, I just turned 42. And what I realized um, is that, that if a, any relationship, including your marriage, is not tended to, the natural drift is apart, not closer together. Um, and so if I look back at some of these relationships, um, not being so egotistical, not being so presumptuous, uh, on the trajectory, you know, through which they were going, um, and just being, just being more, just like being a more caring, compassionate and open person kind of earlier, in my life. And I think I generally was, but there are specific instances where I wasn't. Um, and you can kind of see some of the, uh, some of the after effects, uh, you know, 10, 20, 30 years later. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's something people don't really think about. And it does definitely, I'm sure we all have those. I know mm -hmm. I do that you think back and think, Oh, I, I probably shouldn't I have know. done that. And Time goes so fast. I know you and I are very mm -hmm. close in age. <clears throat> and uh, it's so true. The older you get, the faster. It, it's just in the blink of an eye and you think, oh, I thought I had yeah. more time to fix mm -hmm. that thing. So a great lesson yeah. to share. And a good reminder to both of us that, there. you know, it's not too late either, right? There's no, no better time than right now if you do think that, you know, you have. And so thank you for asking that because it kind of made me rethink and reconsider a lot of those things. Yeah, absolutely. So much good stuff we talked about in here and you gave such great advice as we've kind of gone through, but is there any one big piece of advice that stands out to you that you would tell someone who they thought would want to enter from corporate or maybe just a traditional job into the creator economy? Don't do it. Um, no, I, I think I, I'm, I feel so grateful that I entered this lifestyle and way of being. Um, I think it would actually come back to 
why? Like, why do you want, why do you want this thing? And, you know, you, you know, from the course, the five whys, that's a, that's a big, big, um, you know, like, like, so as I'm asking myself, you know, I'm entering this new chapter of, you know, hiring people and taking more financial risk and just making my life more complicated. Um, you know, I sit back I'm like, why do you, why do you want this? You know, why do you really want this? And I'd be lying if one of the reasons why I, I, you know, I, as soon as I open up that possibility, people are like, oh, like you're going to raise, you're going to raise money, like talk to this VC and, and, and I don't want, I know what that comes with. I don't, I want nothing to do with that, but I would be lying if I wasn't saying that I felt seduced by the possibility of that. Right. Um, and so, you know, I, I feel quite confident in, in the why I make certain decisions these days, but, um, you know, if, if, if you make a decision for the wrong why, you can, you, your bank account, your, um, you know, your relationships, your health could pay a really, really heavy price. Uh, and for the wrong, I mean, for the right why, cool, right? Because that's, that's what you signed up for. But for the wrong why, that's a, that's a lot of um, misused, ener you know, misallocated energy and years and stress and you name it um, for, for something you didn't even want, right? And that's the thing. And that's why when I talk about the creator economy, I don't want to, um, I don't want to beautify things that are not beautiful, right? And there's a lot about it that's not beautiful where it's, it's like, it's a lot like a job and it's kind of, it's almost worse than a job because if you do it better, the job becomes harder, and normally, like the job becomes easier when you do things better, uh, when you get better at yes. them. So that's another <laughs> right. thing. And, and that's why I always tell the story about the 18 months, which is I was in a very unique, most people don't have that financial flexibility. And things would have looked very differently for me. And, and to be honest, I don't know if I would have made it to this point if out of the gates I had to make money right away. Um, but I also recognize and I want people to know this about my story is that that's an important part of how I got here. Uh, because like I said, if I had to do make money from day one, I don't think I would have made it to this point. And just something, another data point to consider. Yep. I always share that as well, that I am in a very fortunate position that I do not take for granted. And yes, I mean, we planned for mm -hmm. years and saved for mm -hmm. years and sacrificed for years to be in this position now. And even then... I'm not mm -hmm. making a livable wage. Mm -hmm. We're almost two yeah. years in. So like it's, yeah, I think people really romanticize the creator economy and think that it's all sunshine and mm -hmm. roses and you're just on the internet mm -hmm. all day. And I'm like, no, no, like it's yep. a business. So that's the 2% that you see, but the 98% mm -hmm. that's happening behind the scenes is not totally. fun. <laughs> it's running a business. Yeah, it's great advice. I, I like the pulling back mm -hmm. the curtain. I appreciate that. I will, won't take any more of your time today. We'll have to have a, a second follow-up discussion and dive deeper into some of these things. In the meantime, where can people get in touch with you, sign up for the, the yes. summit, the course? Awesome. All so the, the main hub is radreads.co, no M. And that will get you, if you sign up, you'll get put into uh, the summit and all of that. And that's really that, that really is the hub. And I'm most active on Twitter. And so if you just, I actually say, if you just Google K-H-E Twitter, you'll land on me because uh, spelling out my Twitter handle is not the best, uh, is not the easiest and probably not the best marketing decision. Um, but uh, those are the two places where you can find, find us. Thank you so much. I'll be sure to link all of that in the show notes so it's easily accessible for everybody. And I highly recommend if you're curious about anything, sign up for the summit and the boot camp. They're 100% free. You'll get a real taste of what the course itself is like and be able to make a, a better judgment. But I would say just go for the course. You're on the fence. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you for your support. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being kindred spirits in this lonely uh, solo creator journey. And thanks for keeping it real. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I can't wait to uh, keep in touch.
And that wraps up this week's show. Thank you to our guest for joining us, sharing your journey, your fails, and lessons along the way. If you want to follow along in between episodes, you can catch me on Twitter at Sarah Nosox. And if you haven't already, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. It really does help the podcast. Until next time, bye.